0: What is your skill set, and how does that match with what the market is willing to pay for it today? Right. <clears throat> I think we get a caught. We get caught a lot in these like debates on, uh, you know, gosh, a teacher should be worth more than a whatever, right? And and I in many ways I agree with that, but there is a reality of how value is structured in today's society, and. Can you accept that reality and match it with your skill set and understand based on how you're currently presenting your personal brand to the world, the, the world is valuing you at a certain rate, right? right. And, and not, not that you can change not that you shouldn't change it because I believe you really can, but getting kind of clear on that is really important And then I would recommend if you wanted to take it another step further. Bring in some coaches into your life and some mentors and say, hey, how can I elevate my value proposition, my brand to the world so that people are willing to pay me more money?
1: This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams, Brandon Green. My friend, it is good to have you on here. I'm excited for this conversation. Thank you for being on the Better Wealth Show,
0: Caleb. Thank you for having me. I am very pleased to be here as well. I am a loyal follower of your content and love the contribution you make to the world.
1: So it's it's fun. Um, your, your your website is is very well laid out, and you have accomplished a ton. And so it was funny when we when we got on before recording. I'm like, what do we want to talk about? We we, we could talk about college, we could talk about wealth, we could talk about branding, we could talk about living intentionally and how you're doing doing that today. Uh, before we jump into all those fun and exciting topics, why don't you give our audience a little bit of backstory on who you are, sure. why you're so passionate about what you're doing, and just give us a little bit of context on why you're on the show.
0: Yeah, sure. So I was born in a small mining town in Wyoming called Rock Springs, grew up in a very conservative Mormon household and I watched as my parents really struggled with money. My father decided that he wanted to pursue higher education and he ended up going on to get his doctorate degree in in Iowa, which the family eventually moved there. And I I was able to see how he, through education, was able to change the social economic trajectory of our life, which I thought was really interesting because he came from a very, very poor background with multiple brothers and sisters, barely any indoor plumbing. And And so I had an experience early on of going from a fairly middle class background um, with my father as a principal of a school in Rock Springs, Wyoming. And then we moved to Ames, Iowa, where he pursued his doctorate. And we moved into a a small trailer in a really kind of run down trailer court. And so early on, I was like present to this question of what does it mean to be poor, wealthy, middle class, have money, not have money and and that really started to inform a lot of things as i as i grew. So fast forwarding a few years. So eventually i ended up graduating from high school and deciding not to go to college. I it, it was less of a like strategic choice like i'm not going to college and more of a ah, this doesn't feel like a fit for me. So can I punt it to the future? And maybe someday I'll go, which led me to touring the world with a musical organization. That's a whole nother side conversation. And then eventually landing in Washington, DC and getting into the real estate business as a real estate agent, I had no, no money, no prospects, no college degree. And yet I felt like I had good people skills and an interest in real estate And I thought, well, let me try to make a a go of it. And so I started my career door knocking Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. to build a real estate practice. And um, yeah, so I did that for 20 years. Fast forward to today. (laughs) By the way, if
1: you're not watching this on YouTube, you don't look. Like you're 35, by the way.
0: So oh wow, uh, that's like very age, nice. You that's uh great. you age incredibly well. <laughs> oh thank you, thank you. It's all about face cream and good lighting. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, so today you know just fast forwarding, we can get into different parts of the journey. I consider myself a serial entrepreneur, which is is something I'm very proud of, and an investor. Yep. And I'm excited about how through my company, the Alchemy of Money. We're able to bring uh, opportunities to people who don't traditionally have them, and we're doing all kinds of exciting projects as a result. So still in the real estate space, but also doing a lot of other things uh, that, that touch hospitality and technology as well. Man, I
1: appreciate the overview. I, I want to talk about the philosophy, the framework of wealth, because I think you and I both agree that there's a lot of shiny object syndrome in our space. Yes. And it's like, it, yes. I, I don't want to beat up Robert Kiyosaki. I, I love his work, but he's like, he almost makes it sound like you go buy a house, you'll be financially free. And right. and right. it's like, there's, there's some steps that need to go in between the mindset and the taking action and being financially free. I also yes. want to talk about um, just the real estate in in right now, what, what your mm-hmm. thoughts are. And then I'm excited to also talk about some opportunities that uh, your community brings to the person that might not have the super connections uh, in the space. But before that, I want to talk about college. And we talked yes. a little bit about this uh, before starting to record. Um, you you didn't go to college. And how, how many years ago is that? Was that like 20 years ago when you decided not to go? Right. Yes. Was that... Was that pretty like
0: taboo for, for it your was. family? It was I, now, you know, as I mentioned just a moment ago, my father decided to pursue a doctorate in philosophy. He was a principal and then a superintendent and, and for him, education was the path out yeah. uh, for, and so big believer, <laughs> right, In the power of education to their credit, my parents credit though. I, I think they saw early on in high school, as I started to have these various entrepreneurial ventures going on, mowing lawns, raising money, selling chocolate, Santa Clauses, and Easter bun. Like, I think they probably recognized I was more of an entrepreneur. So they didn't put an enormous amount of pressure on me to go to college. It was more of a like one eyebrow, like, what? You're not going yep. to college thing. And, and so that helped, I think, and given me some freedom to right. not just go down the proven traditional path, but to take a detour to this. You know world tour which gave me time to think a little bit and get to know myself better and ultimately end up not going to college
1: yeah i think it's and i would love to talk just quickly about the pros and cons because there's a lot of people in our community that are starting to think differently yes and and early on it's like this is what you're going to do even i mean i was homeschooled man oldest of six kids hey. um we thought outside the box but college was very much of like you're gonna go and we're gonna i mean i graduated in three years Let's live at home it was a, a total of twenty one thousand dollars that we spent. So it was like we credit to my parents like thought outside the box. We checked the box, but it was like there was no going around that box. Yeah, um, and so, right. but then as I reflect and as I just look at the world and look at you know where corporate America is right now, I'm starting to see a shift. And it really comes down to the opportunity cost of not just money, but your three to four to five years that you're spending potentially not furthering your relationship capital depending on what choices you make. And so it's just an interesting conversation. I've had people on both sides of the aisle that are very passionate about their belief. What would you say to the parent or what would you say to the 18 or 19 year old kid who has this drive, wants to do something, doesn't want to regret a decision and is like could easily go through college and crush it, but is like is feeling a little bit uneasy. Like what what questions or what framework would you give them on how to have a a conversation.
0: Well, I had a, a fascinating conversation the other day with a good friend of mine who we were on the way to uh, to the airport together on a business trip. She runs a very successful organization, and she has kids that are entering that college age. And she said, "I don't know what to do, Brandon." Because on one hand, as a mom, I'm like, "They're going to college, and they're going to go to a great university, and we're going to spend a ton of money on that." On the other hand, she said, "As an executive." I don't care where anybody went to college or even if they did when I hire someone, I'm looking to see what their track record of performance is, what their attitude is, what their personality and personal skills are. So she said, I'm living this nightmare where in my business, I don't care what college you went to, but as a parent, I'm like, you need to go to a brand name university. And I think that tees up beautifully the conundrum facing our society right now. And it's because College and universities have a brand issue where people are now seeing that the return on investment isn't necessarily matching like they expect it would be. So to your question of what would you do, I think something that is important to evaluate for, for, for teenagers or young people thinking about college is to the best of their ability, can they, ima- can they, can they reconcile the type of career trajectory and the financial opportunities associated with it? with the cost of that four-year degree. For example, if you are going to get a liberal arts degree and and you want to go into teaching and education, an an honorable role, and the the best you're gonna be able to do is make 60 to $100,000, then why the heck are you spending $60,000 a year at a high institution? You're gonna be buried in debt. So I wish and I would want there to be an ROI conversation happening. thank you. and not the sort of the this or that. I think we take a very nuanced issue and say, yay for college or no. For, no, no, no. It, it should be more of an evaluation of based on the person's skill set, abilities, desire, and ROI for what they think they most likely would achieve financially, make a strategic choice. So, I mean, that's one school of thought. I think, you know, if I were, if I, if I had an 18 year old, 17, 16 year old, that would be the conversation I would be having right now.
1: Yeah. And, and the only thing that I would maybe tweak with that, and it, it helps with the conversation is saying there's other things that we can value other than money. Yes, that's right. But, but you're that's totally perfect. true. If you love art, like you don't have to go to a four year college to do art. You know, it's just one of those things where it's now I think it's starting to, we can start having conversations and, and get really clear in what people want. And I love the ROI calculator. If that is not a thing already, um, if, if one of our listeners or if you want to partner with me, let's, let's go and make a college ROI uh, conversation okay, calculator because I think it will just really help
0: someone um, get really clear on, on what they want to do. Yes, let me make one other comment yeah. on this because I, I can now see in hindsight what I missed as yep. a result of not going to college, that if somebody's thinking about that, they should be very aware of this. Besides education, the most powerful thing in going to college is the network and the relationships. And so if you choose not to do that traditionally through a four-year institution, you're going to have to recreate it another way. And so I can see when I began my career, I started three or four steps backwards, not because I thought my writing skills were less or math or whatever, maybe they were, I don't know, but I didn't have the relationships or the networks of my college buddies to lean on, to succeed and to network and advance. And I've had to create that myself purposefully over the last 20 years. So think about that is, are you a natural networker? Then you'll probably figure it out. If you're not a natural networker, you may need to go into the structure of an institution to force you to develop those relationships so that you can then have them when you're 30, 40, or 50 and your buddy is now the secretary of state somewhere. right? So yeah, that, yeah. that's the other thought, I think, uh, on relationships.
1: The last thought I'll have, uh, this is fun. We weren't even going to talk about this, but yeah. that's why I love these conversations, <laughs> yeah. is I have friends that aren't going to college, but they're not doing anything with their life. So it's like, I love right. college. if It it's, it's pushes you to actually do something that's outside Take your comfort zone so because yes. just staying that's in like, your parents' basement, playing video games, like you could say, good. oh, college isn't worth it. Well, it would be because it would take you out of that environment. So overall, every, everyone's in a different situation. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um,
1: Anyway, let's talk about wealth frameworks. Yes. I'm I'm a big fan of, of just asking people that I respect. uh, What, how do you think about money? How do you think about money from a standpoint of your time, your potential, your, the decisions you make from start to finish? Um, So I'm just going to let you riff a little bit and we can have a conversation about frameworks and money.
0: So, for the first several years of my career, I uh, was really good at making money. And yet I was uh, always behind, right? I ended up getting uh, in in debt with the IRS two times, horrible, really miserable process. And always just felt like, wow, I'm making a lot of what appears to be great money, but I always didn't feel like I had enough. And what I realized later in hindsight was that there's actually in developing great wealth, three distinctly different but connected skill sets that you have to procure somewhere along the way. First is you do have to get the skill set of actually making money, right? Like you have to have gross revenue, either, either through your job or through your business, but somehow you have to figure out how do I match my skills, time, resources, and abilities to generate this thing called cash. Right. And, and that's a skill set. That's a that's a networking skill set. It's a it's an articulation skill set. It's a sales skill set. It's putting together a resume skill set. All that is a skill set. But it's it's in one bucket called making money. If you do that, and that is definitely step number one, and by the way, mindset is a big part of that. Because if you don't feel like you've got the personal confidence to convey your value to the world, it'll be difficult for people to pay you for that value. So mindset's certainly in there. Then next, you need to go to saving money, right? Uh, The discipline around creating a delta between what you make and how much you spend on your lifestyle—that right there is its own set of skill sets and can be a life journey for people. And you you hear the interesting stories of people that you know, the the janitor that made never never made more than forty thousand dollars a year, but retired with millions of dollars. Well, it's because. That, that, and this is in, uh, I think, the Psychology of Money book by Morgan Housel. I think it's in that. It, One of it's my because, favorite books, by the way. Love that book. Sitting right there. Yep. Uh, it's because he created a big delta between what he was spending and what he was making, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if he hadn't done that, it never would have worked, which leads to the third skill set, which is investing. You do have to develop the skill set around investing to multiply your money by using time and money to multiply money first, which is where almost everybody starts, unless you have a trust fund. And then eventually you can use money to multiply money. But most people need to figure out how to use time and money to multiply their money, use their personal energy, time, commitment, skills, networks, et cetera, to to amplify what they're actually investing in, to give it a good kicker versus putting it in a traditional stocks, bonds, mutual funds with your financial planner, where you're going to get a conservative 8% return. Very hard to get wealthy with that as your only investment strategy. You've got to figure out how do you deploy your time and money to make more money. And that's then the third bucket. So what I discovered over time was, oh, these are three different skill sets. And you can see it with people. Some are good at one and not the other two. Or some are good at like some are good at saving, but they hardly make anything and they don't know how to invest. Right. Or some are great at investing, but they're they make a bunch of money and then they lose it. And then they make it like, and then, you know. <laughs> So if I'm listening to this right now, I would be doing a personal assessment to say, between making, saving and investing, how would I rate myself on a scale of one to 10? And that would give me some clarity on where I might need to go next in order to shore up this big circle here we call wealth building.
1: I love that. Uh, Each category, it's interesting because our framework is, I draw a human being, and you got to know thyself, and ultimately, you as your greatest asset are responsible for a lot <laughs> like you can yes. you can get out of a lot of holes by just making more money and i think if you look at yeah. america in general majority of america has you know a making money problem uh, mm-hmm. a lot of our friends have a keeping money problem uh they, yes. they make a lot of money but it's like where did it go um yes. and then it seems like investing um is one of those things where it, it's just hard to master so i'll take my parents for example they're frugal but they probably would rate themselves lower on a scale of investing because they're they're doing fine, but they're not really like into it looking for alternative uh, assets and all that they they just are good savers. And and so I've just like I didn't grow up in a home where we were like always looking for investment deals. When we talk about each category, when when we talk about generating or making money, any books that you recommend any questions that are good? Uh, I know you talked a little bit about confidence. What, what is like a secret hack that you have to help someone really get uh, clear about where they're at, number one, and number two, how they can maximize this area?
0: Yeah. So I, I think the assessment of where you're at is an honest look at, right? What is your skill set and how does that match with what the market is willing to pay for it today? I think we get a caught. We get caught a lot in these like debates on, you know, gosh, a teacher should be worth more than a whatever, right? And and I in many ways I agree with that, but there is a reality of how value is structured in today's society, and can you accept that reality and match it with your skill set and understand based on how you're currently presenting your personal brand to the world, the world is valuing you at a certain rate, right? right. And. Not, not that you can change, and not that you shouldn't change it, because I believe you really can. But getting kind of clear on that is really important. And then I would recommend, if you wanted to take it another step further, bring in some coaches into your life and some mentors, and say, "Hey, how can I elevate my value proposition, my brand to the world, so that people are willing to pay me more money?" I'll give you a really interesting example. Just yesterday, I engaged a new attorney for a deal that I'm working on, seven hundred and eighty dollars an hour, which. Is one of the highest bill rates I've seen for an attorney, (laughs) right? And I was like, but I didn't even hesitate, right? I've signed the agreement because A, who referred him to me and my brief interaction and the value he provided to me on this deal, I was like, it's worth the $780 an hour. Every other attorney I'm dealing with is between $250 and $500 an hour. What makes him worth $750 an hour or more? Take that same example and parallel it back down to where you are and say, what am I currently getting and how do I incentivize or enhance that? Now that's from a very personal standpoint. For entrepreneurs, it's a lot more about, all right, how do I either maximize the margin in every customer transaction I have today? And that's a lot about efficiencies, expense management, personnel, and, or how do I grow the business? Because in many businesses, the further you scale, you can flatten your expense margin and, and increase your profit margin. I mean, that's a very nuanced conversation right. depending on the businesses. But that, that's where I'd be looking, right? If I wanted to maximize my skill set, my business opportunities to make more money.
1: Any books that you recommend on the subject?
0: Uh oh, the books. So um, one of my favorite books in real estate, because a real estate guy, right, is The the Millionaire Real Estate Agent by Gary Keller. So anybody who's in real estate or anybody who's in small service businesses, the principles in that book are timeless right. in how to run a really good and profitable small business service business enterprise. It's an excellent book.
1: Yeah, I, I uh, just want to like piggyback off of what you're saying, 100% agree on the value proposition. Sometimes it it can be tricky because people, you can feel like you bring a lot of value. Everyone's valuable, by the way. I don't know if someone needs to hear that. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the market, everyone values a little bit different. So if we want to maximize our our wealth, we first of all need to look at ourselves, And then we have to look at you know our time, other things that we can generate like in business and, and just ask the question, is this creating value for other people? Because if it is, money will follow. I think Elon Musk had a tweet the other day about, you know, money following value. And it's just, it's just interesting. And and it's definitely something very good to think about.
0: Yeah. And, we, and just wanted to comment on that. Cause I can still feel a little like 30,000 feet. I would yep. say the people that make the most money are really, really, really good at a very narrow set of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And that takes time. So choosing early on, like, what am I going to be really, really good at can create an enormous amount of value higher than your colleagues. This guy, this attorney, a good example, right? He only does certain kind of equity and real estate deals. That's all he does from a legal field. Mm. He's the guy for yeah. that. Didn't happen overnight, but now 20 years later or whatever, he's a $780 an hour.
1: Are you What's a fan of important? Napoleon Hill thinking grow rich?
0: Think and Grow Rich is a great book. I, it's a. It was probably the first foundational book I read, where I said, "Oh, how I think about myself and the world plays some sort of role in my ability to generate external things." Yeah. And, and then I went down a you know multi-year rabbit hole around what's that all about. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's an excellent book.
1: Yeah, it's he breaks down the difference between general knowledge and specialized knowledge. Yes, and I think it's, yes. it's, again, another it's just an interesting goes a little bit yeah. deeper on on that. And it, and it can be a powerful mind exercise. Let's talk about saving money. I love yeah. that you talk about this, by the way, because a lot of people say make money, invest money. And you talk about and you use the word delta. Yeah, uh, the, the difference between saving and consuming. Why don't you break that down? And is there any good resources, questions, or something that you did in your life that, that helped you increase that Delta of
0: savings? So the best thing I did in my life in creating some space between what I was making and what I was spending on my lifestyle was I got on the same page with my husband about money. <laughs> right. So You know, my personal journey was he, you know, we've been together for 15 years now and he has a very different mindset around money. And I think most couples have this thing going on. Right. And for a long time, I thought that, but then I was like, wait a minute, we're on the same team. How do we get on the same page about money spending? I like experiences. He likes things. Right. And if you're doing experiences and things, it's very difficult (laughs) to sort of manage that. So we actually went to therapy for a year just on this issue like how do we get on the same page it was singularly the most important thing that uh, that we did that I did that he did to create that difference because then everything else flowed from it then we started to have the conversation around all right we have a lifestyle that we like how do we how do we secure that how much does that lifestyle actually cost yeah right? We love to go on great trips. We love to fly business or first class. Like we, there are things we like, nice things, but we had to sort of come to an agreement on what were the parameters right. of those right. nice things. Cause it's an insatiable desire to have more and more and more and more nice things. So we had to say, let's lock and load in this box, which is a great box, by the way, be happy with that and then allow everything else above that to go into the future. So You know that's that's my one thing i would say if you're in a relationship is getting on the same page
1: yeah and i so i I love that because if you can't if you can't be on the same page that's that's why the divorce rate is so high in this country and it's just it, it can be almost impossible and it can be very suffocating is there any practical things that you did from a standpoint of like all right you guys got on the same page who won like did you just now better communicate from a standpoint of experiences and and well, things because a lot of times what happens with with the couples and with what I see is one's a spender one's not right. and you have this like negative um, energy that goes on right. and someone is it, it, there's just it's just not helpful so how does that person or that couple have that conversation and right. is there anything practical or in any books that you'd recommend in this category that would help you from a standpoint of like okay we're on the same page this is practically how we're gonna save more.
0: Well, I don't know that I have any books on this, but I'll tell you what we practically did is we developed a personal profit and loss statement for the household. So we all have it in business, right? Yes, but we put yes. a we 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 said our per, let's treat our personal life like a business. Not that not in the way that, you know, the personal life is generating profit per se, but let's have all of our income and all of our personal expenses clarified, documented, categorized and a report produced yep. every month so that we can look at it together as a couple and go through it and be like, oh, I didn't I didn't know I was spending that on that. Or I didn't know you were spending that on that. Or, or, you know, I thought we canceled that subscription. Let's get yeah. that canceled. Yeah. So it was it sounds a little bit dry, but it was like data transparency. I'm telling <laughs> you, our marriage. <laughs> right. I'm telling
1: you guys, if you track your money, you control it. Yes. A lot of times, a lot of times you don't have to come up with super um, fancy systems. If you're yes. just aware we if in a company aware. Yes, In our yes. company, we have a daily huddle, and we tell each other what we're going to do, and we actually don't have a way to keep people accountable. But just the ability to verbalize each day where you're at keeps you accountable because you have to go before someone. And the same thing goes with your money. is If yes. all you do is if there's just a system to, to mm-hmm. have a conversation about what's going on, that solves so many issues. And, and so I would just encourage everybody, whether you're single or whether you're in a relationship, to have a system where you're tracking your money because you will be way more aware of that.
0: Open a QuickBooks file and create a profit and loss statement for your personal income and expenses. And you will, you will quickly see how much money you're actually spending on Starbucks and those four subscriptions to this, that, and the other that you thought you canceled two years ago that are still active. Or in my case, I'm going through I was this was this is a funny story on this. I'm, we're going through the reports and, and our little you know couple meeting, and I saw our grocery bill like really high. I was like, this is weird because we don't cook and we order out all the time. Why is the grocery bill so high? So I get into the details and I realized that I had given instructions to my cleaning lady who does a lot of our grocery shopping to always have fresh blueberries in the house so I could have my protein shakes. Well, what I was not present to was A, how many blueberries I was consuming, and B, how expensive fresh blueberries were. So all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm spending like $80 a week on blueberries oh my and, goodness, and, goodness. and then like freezing them. So the most expensive possible protein shake in the world. But my, so my self-correcting mechanism kicked in. I was like, A, that's too many blueberries. B, that's too much money to be spending yeah. on blueberries. Yeah, <laughs> right? no, I'm telling so you. Yep. Everybody has their blueberry. <laughs> right? And so yep. what is it? And, and, I, and I think having that profit and loss statement will, will show it to you and yep. your self-correcting yep. mechanism will go, wait a minute, that's too much. And then you'll start to create that delta I talked about. I love it.
1: Everybody has those blueberries. I love it. Uh, let's talk about investing. And I, I want this to also, I want you to be able to talk about what you guys are doing um, because right. they're two, twofold. Number one, just framework to investing. And I'll open this up by saying, I talk to so many people that have no clue why they're doing what they're doing. Right. Like just straight up, I'll ask someone, why do you have a 401k? And they literally will say, my CPA told me I should have a 401k. Right. And so I, I'm not saying it's a good or bad. I'm just saying very few people can translate or communicate or articulate why they have certain assets. And I think that's right. a huge problem. So number one, I want you to talk about the framework. Number two, I want you to talk about what you guys are up to, because I think you guys have are putting together a community and network that a lot of my audience
0: would be very interested in learning about. Right. Great. So my thesis on investing is that you can have three pillars and probably shouldn't have any more than that for most people, unless they're investors full time, right? But for most people who have other things going on, it's three pillars. Pillar one are your traditional vehicles that your father told you about or your CPA insists upon. 401ks, IRAs, they are good vehicles. They do help on a tax front. You know, you're not going to get wow, eye popping returns, but there's some good reason to put a little bit of money, depending on your age and what your access to other stuff is, into those vehicles. Everybody has access to them and they're set up for a reason. So I think pillar one is take a look at, at let's say you had $100, how much of that $100 are you going to put into a traditional vehicle? You know, not to be construed as investment advice, but what I would say is, Uh, that percentage would depend on two things. One, your age, and two, the access you have to other stuff, right? It might be uh, more interesting from a return perspective. Pillar one. Pillar two, choosing one investment area that you are going to develop specialized expertise in. So that might be real estate. That's what I chose, right? Right. Then you have to go, is it residential or commercial? Like, what what are you going to be great, great, great at where you're obsessed over how to make that investment area work? I think one mistake people make, big mistake, is they invest in a bunch of stuff they don't really actually understand in hopes that they're going to get rich quick. Right. And that rarely works, if ever. And, And instead, I'd say develop an expertise in a vertical. And make it a lifelong commitment, I'm going to be really, really yep. good at X. And that be pillar two. The better you get at it, the more of your overall investment allocation you're going to want to put in it because it's your thing because you're now leveraging your money, but you're also leveraging and amplifying the investment because of your time and expertise and your unique perspective in that vertical.
1: Can I ask what type of verticals? Like, Are, are we talking like real estate? Yes.
0: It could be uh, re- real estate, commercial, or or residential. If it's commercial, it could be as segmented as like warehouse, industrial, or office, or hosp- commercial hospitality, uh, multifamily, right? What what do you uh, storage units, right? You get really really good at one vertical within commercial or commercial itself with a couple little nuances can be, you know, res- if we go residential, it could be single family homes, or it could be, uh, you know, duplexes or triplexes. Like what is your thing? It yep. can also be focused geographically. Like I know the market in Maryland, Washington, DC. Like I know right. that market really, really, really well. You know, team me up an in investment in California. It's gonna be a lot harder for me to analyze it, but I can give you some unique insight in Washington, DC, right? So as a focus area. Okay. Um, then the third is, I would say, stuff you want to play with and learn about, that you could lose all your money in that category and not set you back. So for me, that is venture capital investing in technology companies. I am interested in the space. I want to have some money deployed there, but I do not know how truly how to vet great technology company opportunities. I, I might argue nobody does, but but I certainly don't. <laughs> and so I invest in a technology-driven venture capital fund that has a team of people who have a track record of making good bets on that. But I also know that if I lose all that money, it's not going to affect the other stuff I'm doing. So this, this is your more speculative category. This might be cryptocurrency. This might be NFTs. This is like, I'm trying to place a bet on the table knowing that one out of 20 is going to hit it, but the nineteen, the other 19 could very well go to zero. Yeah. And yeah. that's okay. But a smart person would say, I'm not going to invest 100% of my investment opportunity dollars into that space because that's crazy from a risk standpoint. And I see a lot of people doing that. Or they'll say, I'm just going to like like throw out a bunch of dollars to a lot of different things. I'll put some in crypto. I'll put some in yeah. multiple yeah. crypto cryptocurrencies. I'll, I'm going to buy an NFT. Let's figure out what that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm going to put it like, no, that's not a strategy. <laughs> that's just gambling. Right. So, right. you know, so that's how I think about it. the pillars. Traditional vehicles, your specialty item, and then an area that you're willing to be more speculative around and and balance your percentage of investment dollars accordingly. I love it, man. Um, can
1: you share with us from a percentage standpoint where you have your assets in each each bucket? I, I would put my money on number two being probably where you hold the most, but I'm, yes. I'm very open to what, how do you see all three of these
0: pillars. It's sort of like almost, it's like 70 or 80, 10 and 10, right? 10% is going in these speculative, what I consider speculative. Gosh, if I get lucky, one out of 20 is going to make it and give me a nice return um, area. Only 10%. And I keep my allocation of traditional vehicle 401k IRA investing to about 10, yep. maybe 15% yep. as well. Okay. The rest is going for me in commercial real estate and hospitality oriented stuff. Because yep. uh, I, I know that's what I know. And I just want to point out that um that's
1: you you have that system set up because of your specialized knowledge and and you've you've been a master at your craft. Let me ask you this. When it comes to investing in yourself, yes. would you would you allocate Pillar two, if you're early on, could you justify saying, hey, I'm going to save money, but I'm going to actively invest in coaching or I'm going to actively invest in something so that that like translates that. into specialized knowledge? Like would you yes. could you justify that by saying I'm going to invest in pillar two by investing in myself?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I I have over the years spent possibly now seven figures in coaching yep. and consulting and mentor paid mentors. And yeah, I've made a huge continue every day make huge capital investments in my own knowledge and understanding and evolution. hundred yep. percent. Yeah. Same. That's I've, a huge thing.
1: Not up to seven um, figures yet, but I've, I probably have spent almost $200,000 or more to date on just my personal development. And some people hear that they go, Oh my goodness. Like how is that even possible? And I'm just so grateful for the mindset shifts and, and for that. And um, I'm, I'm, I've seen a multiple return on investment, from those decisions um, let's talk about yeah. the community and network that you're building um, sure and I'll just tee yes. you it up by saying a lot of times in this space if you don't have if you don't know someone you miss out on yes. big opportunities and I think you're doing something pretty innovative in a way to maybe bridge the gap from the the elite versus the people that want to get into those deals but may not know a person
0: right, so I find myself in such an interesting position now where I have a lot of very wealthy uh, and incredibly successful friends and colleagues because of what I've been able to achieve. And then I have a lot of other people, too, that are, are successful in their own right, but they're trying to get to make more money. You know, so, so I feel like I'm like this bridge between different worlds. And so you know, in the last few years, I've been thinking, well, what do I do about that? And so I launched an organization called the Alchemy of Money, which started as an education company where... I developed a course and documents and materials and said look if you want to learn about small business finance this is really focused on entrepreneurs then you take my course right and that actually went really really well but what I discovered in that was education isn't actually enough actually you need access because most people don't have access to these other verticals I'm talking about like they have access everybody has access to the public markets anybody could go you know set up a brokerage account and invest in stock and But you don't like who's getting access to that $13 million warehouse configuration, Mm -hmm. private networks, who's getting access to that venture capital fund that's investing in 20 different tech companies, two of which are probably going to make a big private networks. So as part of the alchemy of money, I said, great, we're also going to be an investment club. And I'm going to bring the opportunities I see and come to me to the table for the for the people, the members of the Alchemy and Money community to invest in or not. And I'm 100 percent transparent on whether I'm putting in money or I'm not and, and why that would be. And, you know, we uh, unlike traditional you know funds, this isn't an investment fund. I'm not charging, you know. You know, big fees. I don't know. It's designed to bring access to deals to the community that are committed to growing their financial capacity through education, training, and networking. And what's interesting is, is happening now is other people in the community are bringing opportunities into the network. So It's starting to really roll down the road where, where we're helping each other figure things out and bring opportunities to the group.
1: Do you have to be accredited to be a part of this?
0: You have to be accredited to participate in the deals. You do not have to be accredited to be part of the uh, Alchemy of Money community. The educational component, you get access to all of that. As a matter of fact, my thought was great because, you know, how do you become an accredited investor? Well, (laughs) you need to get better with money. And so the education (laughs) component really helps build people up. So you get and you can see and, and, and get access to all of the documents and the conversations you just can't invest your capital yeah, until you yeah. become an accredited investor. Yep, you are, yeah. you are who you
1: hang around, so pick yes. your communities well. And, um, and so how can people find out more about this and, and join this community?
0: Yes, go to Brandongreen.com, my website, and click on Wealth Building. and that's where you're going to find the information about the community.:
1: How do I get an easier last name like Green?
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. I can't do
1: that. I, I can't say go to calebwilliams.com because no one knows how to spell my last name.
0: <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> so, yes, I, yes, I know. Thanks to my Irish ancestors who came across to the 1700s and kept the name green. <laughs> <right>. Brandon
1: green.com <laughs> Yes, and, like the
0: color. G-R-E-N.com yes, Click on wealth building and you can, you can get access to join the community and, and, and just learn, hang out and be part of what we're up to in this conversation. And if you're in a position to, then, you know, we're, we're, my original commitment was one or two great investments a year that that's turning out to be a lot more. And so we'll see where this goes, but we're excited about it. Uh, the cool thing, the cool
1: thing about a community like that is it, it, it creates leverage, um, because, um, you are stronger together so you can get better deals. If it's not just you, but you now have yes. a community behind you, and and yeah. vice versa, you, the, the community can get in on
0: better deals because of the community, yes. and so it is. That's it a is, great point. It's, That's a great it's, point. It's, as a matter of fact, we're working one today where the minimum threshold is two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, yeah. but we're able to bundle the two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars as a group and get great in. Example. Yeah, great example. That's a really um, good.
1: Anything else that you want to say? I, I always end the podcast with an, uh, a legacy question, but is there anything else you want to talk about from college to making more money, saving, investing? What you're seeing in the real estate world right now? Like, I'm just, I very much appreciate experts coming on and, and really being generous with their time and sharing the the good yes. and bad that you're seeing right now.
0: One, I want to make one final comment that we can talk about legacy, which I love. I when it comes to building wealth, you, you always have this sense that everybody else is further ahead than you. They must be. And or like you're too late. You, you missed the good boat, right? You know, that the, the best opportunities were when people got in that before you did. And, 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 and the reality is that anytime is a good opportunity to get into increasing your financial capacity. And all you actually need is five years to completely change your financial trajectory. So if you think you've got five years, then you've got an opportunity to completely turn things around. So, you know, I, now I'm in my 40s and I get more people like, oh, I'm in my 40s. I think I missed the boat. I'm like, what? You have 50 more freaking years, if not more based on life expectancy. So stop crying. (laughs) and get going, right? So I just want to put that out there because it's so easy to scroll Twitter or Instagram or whatever and you're like, wow, everybody is richer and more beautiful than me. And that's just not true, right? And so let's get going. You got five years and you can make it happen.
1: But if you if you can increase your wealth, you can have enough to buy unlimited organic blueberries for all <laughs> yes, your you blueberry consumption. Right. I'm, I'm drinking a homemade kombucha Okay, okay thanks to my lovely wife, April. So it's That's uh, wonderful. It's, it's a good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Number one for being on. It's clear to me that you you speak for a living and that you encourage people. And I'm just really grateful that you came on to share your expertise and wisdom. Uh, the way I end this show is talking about legacy. Uh, and, and really, the reason And I don't normally explain this, but we have to think with the end in mind, and the actions that you spend today are going to make a ripple effect whether you live to see it or not. And so the legacy question goes like this. If this was your last day on earth and you were with the people that you love the most, what would you make sure to communicate in that last conversation with them? You can't give them any podcast or book or talk that you've given. You only have that conversation. What would you make sure to highlight in that conversation?
0: Love. At the end of the day, that's what we have. And, And sometimes I get asked, like, what do you want to be known for? I want to be known for love, actually and 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 love permeates everything and makes the world go round and and so that's what i would focus on on that last day is how to be as loving as possible to every human being out there particularly the ones i disagree with yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do yeah. i bring love to that equation
1: how do we show more empathy uh, is yep. there i'm sorry i just want to unpack that a little bit more what's your definition of love and you made a comment even the people that you disagree with what's a practical way that we can do that
0: yeah i believe that At the end of the day, everybody's just trying to do the best they can. And that is the human experience. And if we can relate to people that we disagree with from the perspective of they are doing the very best they can, like us, then it gives us that commonality and that connection once again. So I'm working, I'll give you a tactical example. I'm working on a project right now where I've got a fair amount of immediate neighbor opposition. They do not like me. And, and they're very vocal about it and and it's it's it has stalled the project in some ways right and so it's become a great teacher for me of how yeah. even in the face of adversity like that do i still love them yeah. and feel the common human experience with people who actively oppose me every day that is my journey right as right. A human, all of us and so that's where i would leave it is how do we How do we do that? And and, and there's not a magic answer, but I think it's a mindset around how we think about our fellow human beings. Brandon Green, thank you. Uh,
1: BrandonGreen.com, go check out, be a part of the community. And thank you for making time to be on the show. Uh, I've taken a page of notes and just grateful for how you articulate things and, and just excited to see where you go in the future.
0: Thank you, Caleb. Thanks for having me.